Man, it's been a great day already at Grace Life. Um, I've gotten to share a little bit of time with a couple of our really dynamic life groups. God's blessing in those groups and many other groups too. And uh, in our first hour, three people gave their lives to Jesus in that worship time together. So, man, what a good day already. We praise the Lord for that. You know, 500 years ago, the, the question that kind of was on people's minds, it seemed the hot topic of the day was something that sounded like this. How are sinners made right with a God that's holy? How are sinful men and women made right with God? And the answers that were being provided at that time by the church were answers that could not be supported with Scripture. They were answers that couldn't be supported with the Word of God. They were answers that really were kind of built around man's ideas. They were kind of built around uh, the tradition of the church. And in that time, God began to awaken men and women to the scriptures, began to awaken men and women to a, a rediscovery of the truth of the gospel. And that awakening, that movement, is today known as the Protestant Reformation. And the difference then between the Catholic Church and those reformers really came down to just two little words the difference between the word and and the word alone. Sola is the word alone in Latin. Et is the word and in Latin. And that was what really differentiated between those two schools of thought. Now, we've been in this sermon series. This is week four. We're calling it the five solas because out of that, uh, those men and women clung to five essential truths. And so we're teaching our way through that this month. October 31st is Reformation Day when we kind of remember all the history that surrounded that movement. And you may be able to kind of understand this sermon series with just a little visual that we put together for you this week. We started with this visual. There we go. Scripture alone. That was week one. Sola Scriptura or Scripture Alone, the church 500 years ago was teaching that the final authority over our lives was Scripture and was God's Word, but not alone, not sola, but et, and. It was Scripture and the teachings of the church, Scripture and whatever the Pope may have said. But the Reformers rose up and said, no, listen, the Word of God alone is our final authority. Scripture alone is our final authority. And that's why we put that at the foundation here in this visual. That's why I preached on that the first week because that is the foundational piece to the five solas. And then we looked at that first pillar there, grace alone, sola gratia, grace alone. Listen, we don't deserve to have our sins forgiven. We don't deserve to have a relationship with God. We don't deserve to have the Holy Spirit living in us. We don't deserve to have everlasting life. We don't deserve to get to live forever in heaven. That is all by grace or can be yours by grace alone. We can't earn that. We can't attach works to that. Baptism, church membership, confession, sacraments, last rites. There is nothing that you can add to grace to turn it into salvation. If you can add something to it, then it's not grace. It's grace and grace alone. Last week, we looked at that column in the middle, sola fide, faith alone. We are saved by grace through faith. And the Bible's clear. Even that faith is not our own. It is a gift from God by His grace. And as I said last week, this grace through faith is either 
irresistible, as my Reformed friends would say, or as my non-Reformed friends may say, it's an enabling work of grace and faith that God does. But either way, I'm okay because it is all by grace alone, through faith alone. And today we want to look at that third column, Christ alone, sola Christus. This is the gospel. This is the good news, not according to what the church teaches, not according to what a man has said. This is the gospel according to the infallible, inerrant, authoritative word of God that sinful men and sinful women are made right with a holy God only, only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is what one of Jesus' disciples by the name of Peter, he's preaching this gospel, this good news in Acts chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, let's turn there today. Acts chapter 4. You may remember that Peter was one of the inner circle disciples that Jesus had. But just a few weeks prior to Acts chapter 4, Peter is on the run. He's denying Jesus. He's acting cowardly. He's afraid for his life. But now in Acts chapter 4, he's standing in front of the most powerful group of people in all of Israel. They're known as the Sanhedrin. They're the elite religious leaders. Think of them kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court. But Peter is no longer cowardly. Peter is not backing down. Peter is not mincing words. How do you account for this 180 in this man's life who was scared as he could be, but now he is bold as a lion? The difference is the resurrection. He had walked with Jesus. He had seen him live his perfect life. He saw him die on the cross, and he was a witness that God had raised Jesus from the dead. Now, if you had witnessed that, what would you be scared of from then on, right? No more backing down. I'm on the winning team. I'm on the winning side. It's already been decided. And so here he is standing before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. And he's delivering good news. And aren't you glad this morning that we got some good news today to talk about? Man, how we live at a time and a world and a place that needs to hear some good news. And I'm thankful today that I get to share some good news with you. And it could be that today you are here to receive that good news for the first time, just like those three people did, uh, Annika and Josh and Tyler in that first hour. Maybe today God's already got your name appointed for this time together. Maybe he's already put your name on this hour of worship, that this is the moment that you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you come to know the good news for yourself. So here's Peter, right? Acts chapter 4. He's standing in front of the Sanhedrin and he's boldly sharing this good news. He says in verse 11, This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now here's the good news there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. I love this. Peter isn't wasting time talking about less important things. Peter isn't interested in debating less important things, things that really do not matter. Peter knows that there is no subject in all of the world that is more important than this subject, and that's the subject of salvation. No subject more important than how can sinners be made right with God? How can sinners... Be reconciled to God. Peter knows that man's greatest need, your greatest need, maybe you came here today not knowing this, but your greatest need is for salvation. Man's greatest need is not financial. 
Man's greatest need is not political. Man's greatest need is not social. Man's greatest need is not, is not relational. Man's greatest need is not cultural. Man's greatest need is spiritual. And man's greatest need is the salvation of our souls. And in just verse 12, that's really all we're going to look at today, Peter's going to make three big statements as it relates to how are we made right with God? What is salvation all about? Here's the first thing that is said. Number one, and I, love, I see pens and paper, rock on, I love you for that. Number one, salvation has arrived. Salvation has arrived. Notice verse 12, first three words, Peter says, there is salvation. Man, what great news. Peter just said, salvation is here. It's, it, it's been, Hildred, good to see you, man. Man, I'm glad you're here. One of my fishing friends from outside. And, and, and the Lancasters are here, too. I'm so thankful. I'm, I have ADD, y'all, so I just chase rabbits for a minute. So I've come to really love Hildred. I've got to spend some time with him out at the lake. And the Lancasters, Mr. Dan Lancaster, uh, was the principal where our children go to school, where my wife works, Tuscaloosa Christian School. How many years? 32 years. He's kind of semi-retired. He's still investing in kingdom work through that school. And so I'm honored that that you guys are here, and Hildred, I'm glad that you guys are here. Now, where was I? I love getting to see you guys on Sunday, so I get a little distracted. So here's Peter, right? He's saying there is salvation. That's the first three words. Is there is salvation. It's been accomplished. It's here. Notice the verb tense. He says there is salvation. Shannon, he doesn't say there will be salvation if you do Blah, 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 blah. He says, there is salvation. It's been accomplished. It's provided. Listen, I think that's the greatest, most important declaration that has ever been delivered to mankind. That's ever been delivered to sinners. To hear this truth from heaven itself that salvation is here. There is salvation. Now, what exactly does Peter mean by salvation. Well, when you think about, Mark, your salvation, we have to think of it in a negative way and in a positive way. Negatively, we're being saved from something, but positively, we're being saved for something. We're being saved for God. We're being saved for His glory. We're being saved to be in a relationship with God. We're being saved to be reconciled to God. We're being saved to, to, to be blessed with every spiritual blessing, to be seated in the heavenlies, to have everlasting life. That's what we're talking about. But, but negatively, what do we need to be saved from? And this may surprise you a little bit, Brandon. This may surprise all of us a little bit. Because we, I think, instantly think we need to be saved from sin, and that's true. But more than that, what we need to be saved from, or who we need to be saved from, is God himself. We need to be saved from God. We need to be saved from the judgment of God because we are sinners. We need to be saved from the wrath of God. Despite what moral therapeutic deism that we talked about back during our worldview series, despite what they may be teaching and preaching, our greatest need is not to be saved from loneliness. Our greatest need is not to be saved from low self-esteem. Our greatest need is not to be saved from anxiety or depression or a meaningless life. Those are real problems and legit problems, but they are not our biggest problem. They are not our greatest need. Our greatest need is for salvation. We need to be rescued from the oncoming wrath of God, the oncoming judgment of God. Your greatest need is to be saved from God himself. And there's only one who's big enough to save you from God, and that's God. 
The only one who can save you from God himself is God himself. Listen to these passages out of Psalm that talk about the wrath of God. We don't talk a lot about the wrath of God in the world anymore, but man, Scripture's filled with it. Psalm uh, 5, verse 5. The psalmist says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. You ever catch yourself delighting in wickedness? I, I do. Sometimes I find myself laughing at something I heard or saw on television, you know. God doesn't do that. The Bible says you're not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. Look at Psalm 7, verse 11. God is a righteous judge and a God who shows his wrath every day. If anyone does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has strung his bow and made it ready. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He tips his arrows with fire. Listen, I'm telling you today, everybody needs to be saved from the wrath of God. Everybody needs to be saved from the judgment of God. And if you leave this room today and you leave this world one day without salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, you reject salvation in Him, you will stand before and in forever the wrath and the judgment of God in a real place that the Bible calls hell. Listen, where you stand with God is far more important than where you stand with anybody else. Where you stand with God is far more important than where you stand with your friends. Where you stand with God is far more important than where you stand in society. Where you stand with God is far more important than where you stand in your workplace or in your school or on your team. Where you live forever is far more important than where you live right now. Where you're going to live forever is far more important than the zip code attached to you right now or the neighborhood that you may live in. Where you live forever is far more important. The condition of your soul today is far more important than the condition of your body. It's far more important than the condition of your mind. It is the most important thing. And I'm asking you today, I'm asking you this. Are you saved? Do you know today that you have been born again? Are you saved? Have you received this salvation? There is nothing else in all of the world that matters compared to that. And I'm telling you today, you can be saved. And you can be saved from God's wrath. You can be saved from God's judgment. Peter says salvation. There is salvation. Salvation has arrived. What good news. Well, if this salvation has arrived, then where can we get it? Brings us to the second thing that Peter says in verse 12. He says, salvation is a person. Look at what he says in the text. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. Notice he says there's salvation in no one else. He doesn't say there's salvation in nothing else. Because salvation isn't a thing. Salvation is a person. Salvation is not an institution. Salvation is not a church. Salvation is not an experience. Salvation is not 
baptism. Salvation is not a Bible study. Salvation is found only in one place, and that place is a person, and that person's name is Jesus Christ. Salvation from the wrath of God is only found in God's only Son, who lived a perfect sinless life, died a death that he didn't deserve, we deserve that death, and then God raised him from the dead on the third day. Listen, I'm telling you, there's not one drop of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. There's not one drop of mercy apart from Jesus Christ. There's not one drop of grace apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is not found in Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that. It is in Christ and in Christ alone. Salvation is not in any other name. Salvation is not in the name Abraham. It's not in the name Moses. It's not in the name Joel or Moses or Peter or Calvin or Wesley or Luther or Baptist or Catholic. It's not in Confucius or Buddha or Allah. There's only one name under heaven by which we are saved, and that's the name of Jesus. Jesus is the only Son of God. He is the only perfect sacrifice. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one else has been born of a virgin. He lived a life without sin. He is the only one that could die in my place because he is both fully God and fully man. No one else could pay for my sin or yours. No one else could rise for my justification except him. No one else is seated at the right hand of God as my mediator, as my intercessor, but God. No one else can stand between me and a holy God but Christ and Christ alone. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5. Timothy says this, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for us all. We have one mediator, Hildred, just one. A mediator is one who stands between two opposing parties. They're at odds with each other. The mediator comes to stand between them, to bring them together to reconcile them. But a mediator has to have the capacity of representation of both of the parties involved. Jesus is our mediator because he can represent God because he is God. And Jesus is our mediator because he's also fully man and can represent us as well in his work of reconciliation. Jesus is the only one who could be our mediator. And listen, I want to remind you too, God wasn't obligated to do any of that. He did it for His glory. He did it as a display of His love. Because He's not only a God of wrath, He's also a God of love. And the Bible says He so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. I'm telling you, there is... Not one drop, Roger, of salvation apart from Jesus. Miss Gay, I'm glad you're back. And I know you know this, and you've known it a long time. There's not one ounce of mercy apart from Jesus. Not a drop of grace apart from Jesus. Jesus alone, Christ alone, is the way to eternal life. Now listen, I'm not narrow-minded about this. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7. Verse 13, he says, enter through the narrow gate. Jesus is calling you to the narrow way. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there's many who go through it. 
How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. Listen, don't anybody tell you following Jesus is Disneyland for life. No, it's not. But it's worth it. No, no, no. The preacher can say that better. It's not worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. And he said, and few find it. Some would say, well, listen, I, I, just, I, I just don't think that's how it is. I, I, think, I think God is so loving that he wouldn't be so narrow. He wouldn't be so restrictive. There's got to be, and I believe there, what they would say, they would say, I, I believe there's more than just one way to get to heaven. I believe there's more than one way to be saved. They would say, as long as you, you know, are a good person and genuinely believe whatever it is that you really believe, I, I just think God's going to let you in. Well, what are you basing that on? What's your source of authority to base that opinion on? Because that's not what the source of my authority, Scripture says. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, Proverbs 14, 12 says this, There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. God's wrath is headed for every person because we're all sinners. But Peter says salvation has arrived. And that salvation is a person. And that person is Jesus. Sinners are made right with God. Salvation is available by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Not a drop anywhere else. Not a drop in anyone else. Listen, church. This isn't hard to understand. It's just hard for some people to swallow. But just because you may not want to receive it doesn't make it untrue. It's true. Jesus alone is the way. Salvation has arrived, Peter says. And it is available through Jesus. But here's the third thing. This salvation is required. It's required. Look at verse 12 again. Peter says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. We must, Roy, we must be saved. If you want to be forgiven of your sin, you must be saved. If you want to know your creator in a personal way, you must be saved. You want to be reconciled to God, you must be saved. You want to escape the judgment and the wrath of God, you must be saved. You want to live eternally in a place called heaven, you must be saved. Because God is not going to grade on a curve. God's not handing out passes. You must be saved. It is required. Peter is preaching to the most religious of people, and he's telling them salvation has come. It has arrived. It's available. It's in a person. But even though you're so religious, you must be saved. There's no other way. There's no other option. 
We must be saved from the wrath of God. We must be saved from our sin. We must be saved from hell. Jesus told another religious man in John chapter 3 by the name of Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you're going to enter into the kingdom of God, there is no other way. There's not a drop of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Not a drop of mercy, not a drop of favor from God. I want to show you one more thing about that phrase, we must be saved. It says we must be saved. Those two words, be saved, Peter wrote this in Greek. And the way he constructed that phrase, be saved, is what you would call the passive voice. So what the Holy Spirit was guiding Peter to write down is, you are passive in the act of salvation. You can't save yourself. You have to be saved by another There has to be something outside of you acting upon you and in you to save you. We must be saved. It is all God, all his grace through faith in Christ alone, not one drop any other way. And I'm asking you today, have you been saved? This haunts me as I preach in central Alabama, smack dab in the Bible Belt, where people know the language and they know the words and they know the stuff and some of you can do it in your sleep but you aren't saved I'm asking you today are you saved are you sure today that there has been a moment in your life that the Holy Spirit gripped your sinful dead heart and drew you to grace and faith In the Lord Jesus Christ, are you sure today beyond any doubt that you know you have been reconciled to God, that Jesus Christ alone stands as the mediator between you and God? Do you have salvation today? Have you been born again? You can get baptized over there and not have salvation. You can sign that membership book and not have salvation. You can have ministry responsibilities in this church and not have salvation. You can be the most brilliant Bible scholar in this room and not have salvation. I'm asking you today, are you saved? From the youngest to the oldest, I'm asking you, are you saved? You must be. You must be saved. And not only you, but your children must be saved. And your grandchildren must be saved. And the people you work with, they must be saved. And the people you go to school with, they must be saved. And your teammates, they must be saved. And Christ alone can save. And you can amen that moment and still go to hell. You must act decisively as an act of your will to put your faith in Christ, to trust Him alone to save you. And if you don't do that in this life, you will stand before God one day at judgment and He will say, depart from me because I have never known you. If you came here today without Jesus, I'm telling you, Jesus came here today for you.
He came to that first service today for Annika and for Tyler and for Josh. And maybe before he ever threw back his veil of glory and said, let there be light, he wrote your name on this day, on this hour, at this place. That this would be the day that you said yes to Jesus. Are you saved today? Do you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? If you will turn to Him today and trust Him, He will receive you. There is no sin too great. No sinner that's gone too far that the arm of the Lord cannot reach, cannot rescue, cannot save. He says, come to me, all you who are weary. Come to me, all of you who are thirsty. He's inviting you. From the youngest to the oldest in this room, He's inviting you to come to Him today. Jesus came to save sinners. You say, Pastor, I I, I believe God's talking to me today. I need to be saved. Where do I start? Well, first of all, you don't have to know all the answers. If you know all the answers, you're the first person I've met that knows all the answers. I know this. I know Jesus came to save sinners, so I think here's a good place to start this morning. Just tell him what a sinner you are. Admit that you need him. And I think he'll meet you at that place, and he'll walk with you the rest of the way. I believe you will. If today you would say, God, I'm a sinner. And I need you to save me. To save me for you and to save me from you. Because nobody else can. And so I'm calling on you today. Let's pray. I'm going to treat you just like I did the first hour. And I said we're going to get a little, um, I don't know, this isn't really in style I guess anymore. But I just don't know a better way to do it. Because I believe there's people here today that need to be saved. I believe there's people here today that Jesus desires to rescue And if that's you today, here's all I'm asking you to do. I'm going to start over here on my right side. And if you need to be saved today, I'm just asking you to look up at me. That's just me and you communicating for a minute, all right? I'm over here to the far right. You just look at me and say, that's me, brother. I need to be saved. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, thank you. You might have to kind of wave at me a little bit, all right? I'm doing my best. I see you. I can see all the way to the top. I see you too. I see you. Anybody else right down here? Top, middle. I see you. Thank you. Anybody else? I see you. 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 On my left. I see you. He loves you so much. Uh, I see you. 
from the top to my left. And here's what's great, y'all. Pastor can't see everybody, but God can. Pastor can't save anybody, but God can. Today, right where you sit, you know you need to be saved. Would you just tell the Lord, I'm a sinner. And I need you to save me. Because I have no other way. Jesus, you're it. The Bible says, call on the Lord and you'll be saved. You said, Jesus, save me. I believe you are God. I believe you're God's son. I don't understand all that, but I believe it. I believe you died for me, for my sin. I don't understand all that, but I believe it. And I believe that you're alive. I believe God raised you from the dead. And today I'm giving you my life. That God, just as you raised Jesus to life, I'm asking that you would raise me to life today because on the inside, I feel dead. I need to be saved. And I want to be saved today. And there's a lot of you here today You know the Lord. But man, you're surrounded by people who don't. Maybe today you just need to call out to the Lord to work in somebody's life. And say, God, however you could use me there, use me. I want to, like Peter, I want to give somebody some good news today. Salvation has arrived. It's available through Jesus. God, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for putting on flesh, becoming a person, facing temptation like we do, but never giving in. Thank you for living perfect and sinless so that you could give your life to take our sin. God, thank you for raising Jesus from the grave. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit into this place and into our hearts. Holy Spirit, don't let us stop now. This work that you've begun, would you just continue to move it forward? We're confident that you'll complete it. I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to worship through song. And this is where it gets really awkward. If you're looking for a church that doesn't get weird and awkward, we ain't it. If you looked, not just to me today, but you looked to the Lord today with your heart and said, I need you to save me, Jesus. Here's what I want to invite you to do. And here's what was funny. I said this in the first hour, so I want you to come here and speak to me about that because I want to write your name down. And if you don't want to give me your number, I'll give you mine. Because in my life, there's been so many people that God put in my life to help me and are still helping me. Because I've got a long way to go figuring this thing out. But God put a lot of people in my life and still does to help me in my journey with Jesus. And if I could in some small way kind of pay that forward today and and help you find other people that will help walk with you, I want to do that today. And so I just want want to be able to write your name down and know I can get in touch with you. You know what's crazy in the first hour? All three of those people, I already knew them. 
I didn't have to ask them their name because they've been here. So it doesn't matter if this is your first time in the room or you've been at this church since Ruth Sanford rocked you in the nursery. No matter. You must be saved. The Bible says today's the day. It's the day of salvation. So I know it's weird and crazy. You may as well jump in the weird and crazy pool today and just walk right on down here in front of God and everybody and say, Pastor, I want you to know God's doing something in my life today. Maybe some of you need to be at the altar today praying for somebody else, maybe praying for yourself. I don't know. I just want us to have some real time with the Lord before we get out of here today, okay? All right. Let's sing. Let's worship. Y'all come on.